Hey team, Ed McKnight and Ilsa Wolf here from Opus Partners and Opus Accelerate and we are so excited tonight to be here talking to you about how to cash flow hack your properties and figure out whether the property investment deal that you might be looking at is a deal or perhaps it's not. That's what we're going to go through. Now, we've got a wee bit of housekeeping just as everybody is coming through. But what I want to check first is whether you actually can care us or not. So my question is, what colour is Ilsa's suit tonight? What colour is Ilsa's suit? Let us know down in the chat just to make sure that, that all of the technology is working right for us. And then we're going to be able to get away. Yep, Romana, you're correct. It is purple. Lisa, yes. Sam, pinky grey. I will accept all of those answers as long as you can hear us okay. Let's dive straight into it while people are still coming in. So tonight we are talking about is it deal or no deal in 2023? And here's what you guys are going to get tonight. You're going to get the entire webinar for free. And yes, this will be recorded. We get that question a lot. You will get sent that tomorrow. Any data we share tonight, free. Q&A, free. Only thing we don't send out is the slides. And one thing I just want to make sure, go to your chat now and make sure that you are sending your messages to either panellists, and attendees, or your one might say everyone. Make sure you're sending your messages to everyone. One of the great things about tonight's presentation is that you guys here on the chat get to chat back and forth with one another. And I see that Danny is here from Opus Accelerate as well in there to answer all of your questions. Now, you're not here to see me tonight, but Ilsa's put this in the slides, so I will talk to you about who I am in case you don't know. My name is Ed McKnight, and I uh, host New Zealand's number one business podcast podcast, The Property Academy. That's a daily show that we put out. Uh, and we are about to, probably tomorrow, hit 5 million downloads. On top of that, uh, my company also owns Informed Investor Magazine, New Zealand's only broad-based investment magazine. Uh, I'm an economist, host that podcast, I invest in property myself, and actually I think, that, is this the first time I've said this, Elsa? First announcement? First announcement, we'll say, yeah. uh, officially an author with my colleague Andrew, uh, we've just released our book Wealth Plan. But you're not here to uh, hear from me primarily tonight, we're here to hear from this wonderful lady, Ilsa Wolf, who has been a property investor for 15 years, and that is her uh, lovely face on the cover of New Zealand Property Investor magazine from, I believe, last year. She's got a $19 million uh, portfolio primarily focused around buying, renovating and uh, increasing the value of those properties. She, invite, she writes for New Zealand Property Investor magazine and is also a renovations coach. And of course, today she is talking about is it a deal or not in 2023? Now, this is particularly important as we head into the summer market, isn't it, Ilsa? Because there are going to be more properties selling and there are going to be some deals out there. There's about 80% more properties currently on the market compared to the same time roughly last year. Now, of course, the other thing that's important to note is that the property market has declined in value pretty much all across New Zealand, some places more than others. But even as property prices have come down, that's another reason why you need to be even more active out there looking for specific deals. And you're going to learn how to evaluate those tonight. But I'm going to hand it over to Ilsa to talk about how do we actually do this? How do we figure out whether a property is a deal or not in 2023? Thank you, Ed. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this great Tuesday night. 
self-educators, existing Opus Accelerate clients, and also our VIP, Danny's mother, who is also joining us from Danny's home in Auckland, has just landed from Brazil. Uh, and it's an international us. audience. <laughs> so thank you for joining us so much, and Conrad and Danny. Danny is online, even though she's not here um, in person with us. Now, today, what we want to focus on is how to spot and analyze uh, a cash flow hack deal in this this market, the current conditions that we are buying and operating within. Higher interest rates, and yes, let's acknowledge for existing builds, it's a tough environment out there. This is not an easy strategy. 40% deposit required and lack of uh, tax deductibility on the interest costs for existing builds, unless, except for a few exemptions. Um, it's clear to say that there are a couple of benefits, but you need to invest correctly if you're going to uh, execute the Burr strategy or the cash flow hack strategy, which we'll talk about in a second. Two benefits, uh, to intensify and up-spec or add value to the dwelling so that you can increase the performance of that property and also that other benefit, which is you know, outstanding for existing builds, which is that future land bank opportunity. So buy one property, understand the future development opportunity, whether you're going to develop it or not is a separate question, but that value baked into the land is exclusive to existing builds. Now, also, I'm a very dumb man, so let's dumb this down for me at least, probably not for the smart people at home. When we're talking about intensifying or up-speaking the develop development, what do we mean by that? What we mean by that is, you know, say you're looking at a listing online to potentially buy a property that might be three bed, one bath. Simply buying that and cosmetically renovating or just doing nothing with it is just not really that useful. It's not going to perform uh, to its optimum because, as we mentioned, like the conditions are really tough. Interest rates are higher. We need to improve the rental value or performance the rental dollars per week, and how we do that is by up-speaking, we're adding bedrooms, maybe we're adding toilets or full bathrooms, maybe cabins and sleep-outs. We're looking to improve the performance of that debt, okay? And for both case studies we're going through tonight, these are going to be assumed to be 100% debt, 40% deposit from either cash or another property you're leveraging, usable equity, 60% to buy that property on the property itself, but also the renovation budget to add value that is assumed to be debt as well. So we've got some tough conditions. So therefore, what no longer works uh, is to renovate without adding a bedroom, and we'll show you shortly. Great, so now what we're gonna get into is what we call our cash flow hacking system. Now, this is something that Ilsa has specifically developed, which are the six steps that have the biggest impact both on the rent and on the increase in value. Now, some of you will already know and love those, but for those of you who are new tonight, Ilsa, take us through the six steps that add the most value when renovating a property. Right, so we're going to assume that for both of these case studies, you're going to think about these six cash flow hack steps. Um, can we execute these six, plus the bonus of a cabin uh, for either of these case studies? So first and foremost, add an extra internal bedroom. This is almost non-negotiable. Multi-income properties, a little bit more negotiable. Standalone, typical standalone houses, basically non-negotiable. Best chance at value and rent per week uplift. Number two, what we mean by this is assess the options. So you have you have a couple of dynamics at play for every property that you're reviewing, right? So there is the 
physical makeup of that house. So how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms? There's the location. What are the amenities? Are we close to a hospital? Is it close to a uh, university? And then thirdly, who is the most likely tenant? When you consider these various elements, your job when looking at the physical property is to work out, okay, what's the best use of that property? Now for both, both of these case studies, we're going to focus on keeping them simple as single incomes, but there are other strategies you can play on with some experience, which could be large house, convert into two new dwellings, look at room by rooms, but those are definitely once you have really um, several renovations under your belt. Number three, upgrade the kitchens and bathrooms. Visually, these are the rooms that have the most uh, important appeal either to a future registered valuer, valuing the property once you've, you've completed your cash flow hack reno, but also to the future tenants you want to attract. Kitchens and bathrooms, modern, fresh, basically translate to hygienic areas that will attract the people you want. So. And I should just say as well, Ilsa, when we're talking about doing uh, a renovation to a kitchen or a bathroom, can I say that we're quite thrifty at Opus Accelerate and that we're not <laughs> talking about it being the most high-spec uh, bathroom or kitchen you could possibly imagine? In a lot of ways, when we talk about bathroom and kitchen renovations, we're trying to find ways to increase the value, to make it look nice, but without necessarily spending a lot. So we can get even uh, quite deep uh, into what do we mean by upgrading kitchens and bathrooms. Sometimes that means taking the cabinets that are already in your kitchen and bathroom, sanding them back, giving them a new look of, lick of paint, rather than trying to replace everything all of the time. So as well as adding the extra bedroom, upgrading kitchens and bathrooms, there's a specific way to go about it, which we'll go through tonight as well. What's number four for us, Elsa? And thrifty is great because especially with values coming down and there a bit more being a bit more uncertainty, the more thrifty we can be, the better. The lower we can keep that investment dollar and that loan spend, the better, right? So, uh, number four, paint refresh. Time and time again, registered valuers will tell you this is the best bang for buck. Widespread impact, very cost effective overall. Internal repaint, uh, sorry, internal interior repaints, ceilings and walls by far the most important. If you have a bit of a bit of flex in your renovation spend, trims, uh, all of the details, maybe roof or exterior upgrades included as well, but that would be a luxury. Number five, flooring refresh. There's a full continuum here. We have articles on our website that you can delve into further detail and other podcast episodes from the Property Academy podcast, and we can link to these as well. You could start with the basics from, is it salvageable? Is it already a modern flooring that we can clean and spruce up? Or worst case scenario, let's replace either the soft flooring covers or the hard flooring. And finally, uh, the fittings and hardware upgrades is number six. Now this might be number six, but what is really, really important to note is that it's all those finer details around mostly the interior of a house, around that property, that will create this collective impact of modernizing a property. So what we're talking about here could be the hardware on those kitchen cabinets. Are they, are they the original 70s knobs on the cabinets? Can we replace them with something really modern and stylish to pull that kitchen out of the 70s and into the modern day? Also, we have the bonus, which is actually more important now than ever. We haven't popped it on here, but the sleep out or cabin, which definitely help with that overall cash flow performance. Now we're going to come into those and show you how you might actually apply those with two different case studies 
in a moment. But just before we get into that, we always like to learn a little more about you guys at home. So we're about to ask you a poll, which uh, producer David's going to put across because I gave him the permissions for that. What do you need to learn to be a better property investor? What's the main thing out of these four? Do you need to learn how much to pay for an investment property? How to properly budget for a renovation? How to figure out what that uh, value of the property is going to be after you renovate it? Or how to forecast the increased rent once you do that? I'm going to ask producer David to pop across number one across your screen, all about getting better. What do you need to learn to be a better property investor? Choose one of those and uh, then we're going to put it across your screen and perhaps once uh, maybe 40% of people have answered that one. Producer David will stop that and pop it across the screen. Show us what, what everybody's interested in. I don't think I'm allowed to vote because I'm a panellist on this. <laughs> cool. And in three, two, one, we're going to close that off and pop that across everybody's screen. See what everybody's out. Okay. So 30% of you roughly need to figure out how much to pay for an investment property. We're going to teach you that today. 23% uh, how to budget for a renovation. It's quite interesting how evenly spread this is, Elsa. Yeah. Uh, about a third of you want to figure out how to uh, determine what the value of a property is after you renovate it, and about 15% uh, about the uh, change in rent as well. So cool, we're going to go through probably all of those in today's presentation. And with that, we're going to talk about how to stack up a deal. But oh. just before we do that, there's one fifth element that you need to uh, be aware of as well. Ilsa, what is deferred maintenance? I feel a bit mean doing a little trick fifth element there on the poll, but this is really something to draw your attention to. Okay, so we're about to show you how to stack up the deal, which is a commonly used phrase you'll hear about with this type of renovation-based strategy. But one one area of cost that is not actually addressed that often, but we need to highlight, is deferred maintenance. Can you spot it? Did you even know it was there in the first place? But then can you identify it when and how do you quantify it? This can make or break a deal, or I know not so much a deal, um, and it also is the cost that will eat away at your equity margin or your planned equity margin. So we'll div dig into this as well. And just before we get into that, Ilsa, as well, for anybody who's unfamiliar with the term deferred maintenance, what do we mean by that in property investment circles? Just really quickly. Uh, very important for existing builds. What we're talking about is buying basically the second-hand product, right? And so over time, technologies change, materials change. Um, you'll see in one, uh, the first case study, we're talking about the roof. So, you know, you've got to think about how do I maintain the roof? Uh, it's not brand new. Maintenance is going to pop up. So you need to be able to quantify and identify imminent costs, costs that might come now, but also in the future that are going to affect your spend and cash flow. Things perhaps like a busted up hot water cylinder that you're going to have to replace and it might cost you yeah. $10,000. Now let's get into stacking up that deal because for you guys who want to figure out how much to pay for the purchase price, but also what's the value of my property afterwards, that's where you need to learn how to stack up the deal. And you can see some of the four main concepts to the left of your screen that we're going to go through. So I'm going to show you how to do this. First of all, let's say you're going to purchase a property for 450k, or you think maybe that's what I could spend on a property. 
In property investment, we often talk about a value ceiling. And you can see here, we're talking about 550K in this instance. Now, what do we mean about a value ceiling? Look, if you were to buy a three-bedroom house, and we'll call it New Plymouth, and maybe it's a lower socioeconomic uh, suburb of New Plymouth, and you pay 450K, there is a limit to how much that property is going to be worth. Even if you were to up-spec it considerably, you're going to paint it, you're going to use every single tactic we're going to teach you, yeah, that property's never going to be worth $2 million. It's not, because it's a three-bedroom property in a lower socioeconomic uh, area of New Plymouth. So what you've got to figure out is what is the ceiling or what is the maximum value property that I can make this property within the suburb that it happens to be in? And in this example, you might say, you know what, if I really do up that three-bedroom property in New Plymouth, I might be able to get it to 550. Okay, well, that's not the end of it because we've also got to think about our renovation spend. What's it going to cost to take that 450K property and turn it into a 550K property? Well, in this case, it might cost you $60,000, in which case you're thinking, oh, okay, I've done quite good. I'm going to buy something for four fifty. dollars It's going to be worth five fifty dollars at the end. It's going to cost me sixty dollars I've made forty grand in that instance. And what Ilsa was trying to talk about there is, well, what if you've got forty dollars of deferred maintenance? Well, if it costs you 450K and then it costs you 60K and then it costs you an extra 40K, sweet, it might be worth 550 at the end, but it costs you 550K uh, all up to create that property across your deferred maintenance and your renovation and buying the thing in the first place. So you've actually made no money in this situation. And this is the type of mistake that we're trying to help you avoid within tonight's webinar. And you're gonna see us stack up the deals like this as we go through those case studies. And I know that as well as the equity side of can we make any money by renovating this property? Also, you also want to talk about cash flow. What are we looking at here? That's right. So as well as the capital investment, the amount of cash or deposit you're popping into the deal, we also are super focused on cash flow. Okay, so what is the impact on, a, on the rent on a weekly basis based on how we find that property, but also from what we're going to do to it, how we're going to renovate it? Do you understand the impact on the result of how that property will perform based on how much you're going to spend on that renovation, what's worthwhile and what is not. Now, appreciate there are quite a few elements here. These are definitely the, the bones of a roadmap that will help you feel you can look at some online listings, you can invest locally or remotely and have a roadmap so that you can start to stack up the deal and the cash flow. All right, well, it's probably time we jump into these case studies. Now, last time we were here, which was a couple months ago, we were looking at Whangarei. We're going to jump into the South Island, where we are in Christchurch, and look at a couple of case studies here. This is a brilliant location for the Burr strategy uh, in the current market conditions. So we're going to go through two different locations within Christchurch today. Cool, so the first one is in Idaho, and uh, I think this one's inquiries over $479,000. Now, Ilsa, what are you looking at here? Okay, so again, we're going to assume 100% debt on both these cases, as we mentioned. So, inquiries over 479k. Okay, so basically they're asking 480 plus. 
Okay, this is a northeastern suburb um, in Christchurch and is a suburb where we have clients actively renovating here. It's a great location. Now, first point here, and when we're stacking the deal, is we're talking about purchase price. When investors say you make your money going into the deal, it is absolutely true, especially in a soft or slightly declining market that we find ourselves in now. So the lower you can start with that debt, because remember, we're stacking it up. We're adding a reno spend, hopefully not too much deferred maintenance, but we're stacking up that debt. The lower you can start, the better, okay? So there are two ways you can go about evaluating both the purchase price, but also forecasting that end value or value ceiling for a location. You will be looking at the suburb level, if not the immediate streets, to be really owning that location in your due diligence. Now, the paid route would be to go straight to a registered valuer and understand what that property is worth, give you some security that you're not overcapitalizing at the beginning. There are other ways that you can go about it though. So if you're going to be an astute investor, on the left-hand side, you'll see what you've probably all recognized, homes.co.nz, a little screenshot of this area. And you'll see there some, some suggested values. Now, keep in mind that whether you're using property value, one roof, homes, these all use slightly different data sets and the results are only as good as what's in there. But as a free version, this is a great place to start. The first thing that comes to mind here is that the asking price or inquiries over is already significantly higher than the general numbers that you'll see in that area. So I would consider that a bit of a flag. And so just for anybody, if it's a bit grainy on your screen, they are looking for inquiries over 479 and a lot of the properties on that street, if you can't read those numbers because you're on your phone or you're listening to the podcast, are kind of around the 445, 440 mark, perhaps 30 to 40 grand underneath what you're seeing that they're looking for inquiries over. And there are a couple of other ways that you can basically create a robust view of what that market value is. Just because they're asking 479 doesn't mean it's worth 479. You need to be critical with this. Another great uh, way to analyze or critique would be to go into um, a search engine, you know, a listing engine such as Trade Me Property, create an ascending order of results for a similar spec property. So if this is, this is a three bed, one bath house, pop those details in there. Um, sort those results into ascending order and have a look at the asking prices even further. Track those. Uh, use a tool to uh, list all of the listings you've been following such as Notion um, and then follow up on the actual results of sales in that area. Ask the agents. Don't move on too quickly. Master the price and that's the same sort of methodology you should use to look at the, um, the end value as well. We're going to come back to that. Now, Elsa, talk to me about what we're seeing here in terms of the uh, photos of the property. What opportunities are you perhaps seeing here? Sure. Okay. So let's keep in mind the cash flow hack principles. And here we can clearly see, first time on the market, 70 years, cosmetically, there's tons of opportunity. So this looks really good on face value. Uh, a couple of, of internal photos there. Um, Top right looks to me like potentially that could be a classic dining room conversion to add an internal bedroom. Definitely can modernize the bathroom. But um, let's also have a look at those exterior photos. A um, couple of things to notice. You want to marry up the opportunity you potentially see on the interior uh, with some of the features on the exterior. And one of the key things we look for is, okay, what are the window types, the layouts, and where would we want to pop those internal walls to create the additional internal bedroom. So let's just remind ourselves of what we want to 
tick off here to get our maximum value in rent uplift. Now, these six cash flow hacking steps, one to six. One thing I see here, okay, we want to always add an internal bedroom for value and rent uplift. Um, basically upspec this house from a three bed one to at least a four bed one bath house. Two things that stand out here, the window placement, if we were going to convert that dining room in this corner of the photo uh, to that fourth bedroom, there's actually a window that splits across, halfway across the dining space right through to that kitchen. So I see that as uh, potentially a bit of a red flag. Um, now secondly, the brick cladding. The type of cladding massively impacts the ease at which you can create those conversions because say we wanted to really go ahead and create that fourth room, we would have to change or replace the windows and split them into two. But hey, bricks, <laughs> bricks are a lot tougher, first of all, to find the right brick and also to find a brick layer. Uh, so two things to think about there. These are the details that you want to look for. This is very interesting. Let me just make sure I've got this right. So if I'm looking at that top right photo, Elsa, I can see that there to the right of that photo, there's that extended windows, and that kind of marries up with the photo underneath it. And you're saying that if I wanted to turn where that, that dining room table is there, if I wanted to make that an extra bedroom, mm -hmm. I'd have to replace those windows because I can't just put a wall across it through. because it's going to go halfway <laughs> through the window. That That's makes right. sense to me. Mm -hmm. But then what you're saying is, well, you could do that, but if you wanted to do that, you would then have to replace the windows. But how are you going to do that because the house is made of brick and you can't find a, or it's difficult to find a brick layer in Christchurch? That's right, yeah. So you'll, you'll, you'll be comparing when you're looking in a set location or for a, for a specific type of property, there will be so many options and there will likely be an easier one than this. You know, that's how you need to think about it. Don't get bought into one property and feel you have to make this work. There are definitely uh, ways to add value here. Modernise the bathroom. Um, you actually get a full opportunity if you can um, add a bedroom that and where you can upgrade the kitchen and then completely change the layout because that's a very dated kitchen. So there are definitely some benefits here, but if you look carefully at the where that window is, it doesn't just sit within either the dining space or kitchen. It spans through both. That's the issue. Um, assuming here that behind that dining room wall would be the lounge, which in fact is the case, that would be usually the most common way you could add that internal bedroom um, with your builder just confirming that it's non-structural or getting a consent if it is, uh, that fourth room would come off likely a living area. Um, that would be the typical solution. But this window really makes this one a little bit difficult for us so far. Yeah, but this is something that you can look for and people at home can start looking for as they're scrolling through Trade Me thinking, oh, look at this. This, this house is tired. It's, she's tired. She needs some work done to her. But it's not going to be the cash flow hack that we're looking for if we're looking to increase the rent. And actually, just mm -hmm. take us through the numbers, Ilsa, mm -hmm. to show us why. What am I okay. seeing here? Okay, great. So here we're starting to talk about the rent uplift or the change in rent potential. Um, as well as get into that renovation, you know, budgeting for the renovation. Now, this is a snapshot from the tenancies.gov.nz. So this is the official website for market, uh, market stats on the rents, okay, for this specific suburb. We're looking here at house, two bed, three bed, four bed. As you can see, 
three bedroom house currently, lower quartile is 490 rent per week. And I, I generally would say that is where this property sits currently based on its very outdated state, outdated state. Now, if we were going to purely cosmetically renovate this because we don't think we can, can add that internal room, we're really going to have to renovate a full renovation to make it modern. But the upper quartile rent as a newly renovated property is capped around 560. So we're looking at an increase in rent of $70 per week in return for our full renovation spend. The alternative, of course, is if we could add that bedroom, we would be looking at $190 instead of that 70. So there is actually a very large opportunity cost by not adding that additional room. So adding the extra bedroom, you're saying, okay, if we renovate this property, we're gonna go from 490 a week in rent to 560, but then if we add the extra bedroom, just ballpark, mm -hmm. might be an extra 120 bucks. So really most of the, the rental increase comes from adding the bedroom, not just renovating it. Correct, that, that's absolutely right. And we're going to start talking about, you know, if you're going to add to the loan or the debt on the property, you need to make it efficient, okay? So that's why we're looking at adding a bedroom versus not, and what are the relative spends? Now, a quick before versus after, um, if we're keeping to the three bed before and after, and same number of bathrooms, now that rent, assuming lower quartile, is 490, and, you know, okay, we get a little bit of uplift from the cosmetic effect of a reno. But what's that going to cost us? Okay, so in terms of budgeting the reno, this is roughly what you can expect in this market. In most markets around New Zealand, this is a full cosmetic uplift. This is what you could expect to spend right now, okay? We have split it approximately via the principles. Um, just keep in mind, okay, if we go just very quickly from the top to the bottom, extra bedroom we're not, we're assuming we're not doing here, okay? So we're not spending much here, but uh, interestingly, while two no, no two renovations are the same, um, if you go with the classic dining room to bedroom conversion, largely that spend to create that room comes out in the wash. There's not too much difference in what you're spending right now, as you see here. Wiring and plumbing maintenance I've added in because this will assume a full rewire for, for an uh, older house. That's definitely part of the maintenance you want to look at through your due diligence. This is all to be quantified before you commit unconditionally to a property. Paint refresh, interior give or take, probably ten to 12,000. Um, flooring refresh, again, a full house is up to about 6,000 these days, just depending on supply and timelines. Um, Fittings and hardware is an interesting one because you would think it's very cost effective, but the labour involved can be quite high. You should anticipate around 65000 for a cosmetic reno spend for a typical 90 square metre or so house. And this is where some people say to us, why, why do I need the, to add the extra bedroom in? I just want to take you through the numbers on this. So in this situation, you're getting an extra $70 a week worth of rent coming in. But if you spend sixty five grand and pay a 6% interest rate. You're getting in $70 a week worth of rent, but you're gonna have interest costs of $75 a week. On top of that, you're gonna have roughly an extra $25 worth of tax under the new tax rules. So if you were to renovate this property to get an extra $70 a week worth of rent, you have also lumped yourself with an extra 100 bucks a week worth of costs. You're going backwards $30 a week in cash flow after you renovated it. Worse and off. <laughs> Worse off. 
And talk to us about deferred maintenance as well, Elsa. This is important. Okay, so let's use this as, a, as an example. This is this is not this is illustrative here. That I'm not necessarily saying there's an issue here, but what I have definitely seen, and investors we work with have definitely commonly seen, those heavy old original ceramic tiles from the 1940s, 50s, 60s. They are extremely heavy. Um, not surprisingly, they're relatively redundant. This means that now it, there are very few suppliers in any market who can service small maintenance. You're basically facing a full replacement. Not only that, you, you can't simply just throw some long run uh, iron on top. The structures are different, so it's not a small job. And if you have a property where you're thinking you've got decent cash flow, all it takes is a big bill for something like this. If you have not identified it or quantified it, it can really undo the performance of that, that property. Okay, stack up the deal for us, Elsa. Okay, great. So purchase price here, they've asked for 479. Let's say you took that guidance and thought, okay, they're only taking that. I'll go 480. Okay, so we're starting at 480. What do you reckon the value ceiling is on this? Right. Well, we're cosmetically renovating. We're not really adding a ton of. We're not. We're not up speaking or intensifying the house. About six hundred thousand dollars for a really good job on that renovation is probably about the maximum we would see. We've quantified that renovation again. Relatively typical sixty-five sort of thousand dollars spend on that to do a full overhaul internally, but without that room. But this is the kicker here: deferred maintenance. During the due diligence, you always want, with an existing build, a uh, third-party building inspection uh, to see if any large issues might pop up, whether it is the, wire, the rewire required, replumbing. But in this case, a re-roof, the roof might be twenty to 25000 You will want more for the structure to support that change, and most likely the scaffolding will almost double. I have an example, actually, <laughs> my dad's is very similar. So 45000 is absolutely what you would expect to pay here. So we've made about 10k in total. We've gone from, uh, we've invested 590 grand, taken it up to 600 grand. But what does the cash flow look like as well, Elsa, on that? All right. So, as you said... You've used my spreadsheet. <laughs> Love the spreadsheet. Everyone use the ROI spreadsheet. Okay, so we've... Um, uh, we've not added the bedroom. We've actually gone backwards, as Ed said. So the post, so basically, after you pay tax, uh, the cash flow on this property is going to be negatively geared, or is going to cost you, on top of the rent, to cover your mortgages and your expenses, fourteen thousand in year one. So, and you know, I don't even see any blue, which is basically getting into the black. So this is a negatively geared. This is a house you'll have to top up beyond the 15 years. We're well tr and truly clear of the 10-year bright line, and this is still costing you money. Top up, you know, would you be happy paying $277 per week out of your pocket just to keep this afloat? So let's come to deal or no deal. This might be an easy one. Uh, we're going to involve you guys in this one for the first case study and for the second too. So uh, producer David's going to put uh, number two across your screen. Is it a deal or not? Either click number one, it's a deal or no deal for you. Uh, after we get a couple of people, yeah, maybe 40% of the audience uh, clicking on that, we'll share and we'll get the answer from Ilsa. But I tell you what, the one thing that's a real kicker with this one is because the rent has not gone up significantly, it still attracts more tax because it's been purchased after uh, the 27th of March 2021. Uh, straight away, you aren't going to be able to deduct your uh, interest repayments. And because of that, 
as well as the extra 70 bucks a week worth of rent, a third of that straight away goes off to the IRD. Now, I'm interested in the uh, four people who said that it is a deal. So 5% say it is a deal, uh, 95% of people say it's not a deal. Ilsa, I get uh, a sense of where you're perhaps going with this. But just before I let you go tell us whether it's a deal or not, for those people uh, who think it is a deal, I'd love to hear your reasoning in the chat. It'd be very fascinating. Also, take it away. Is it a deal or is it not? Okay. From a cash flow hack perspective, I'd say this is not a deal. It's a no deal. Now, so why is that? Okay. We increase the debt with further renovation spend as debt, but for not the best return. We knew there was an option, there was a way through adding a bedroom and other elements to increase the performance, but it wasn't available in this case. Also, when we talked about starting from the lowest amount of debt possible, definitely this property at 480k has been overpaid for. But you know, what we need to think about is the immediate, per, uh, there, there's a, there is immediate performance and there's long-term performance. So I'm sort of suspecting the few people here who said, oh, it could be a deal, might be sort of moving into, well, what are the land opportunities? So that, that might be something they're thinking there. But also the main, the other key area here is that by not uh, identifying the deferred maintenance and the roof um, and that significant cost there, that is what will soak up that otherwise equity margin that you would have gained through that renovation. So now let's come across, Ilsa, to case study number two. And where are we going to be looking in Christchurch this time? We're jumping down to Woolston, uh, a more of a southern suburb within Christchurch. Now here, sort of short tracking this one, we know here, Screenshot on the left, okay, we're seeing a few different values around the mid-fives, give or take, mid-500,000s if you can't quite see on your, your resolution there. This is, an, again, a standalone property. Has a nice couple of features here with double glazed joinery, which uh, definitely didn't expect, and that is not common with an existing build on the market these days. Um, but also uh, actually has a roof replacement, definitely needs a bit of love and care. The market value has been identified uh, more formally at around that 500 and. 500 to $530,000. So uh, now repeating that same sort of process, having a look at the internal interior quality and standard, uh, a snapshot of the photographs here. Look, there's, there's some paintwork refresh done. There's a bit of wear and tear. Um, however, we can see the kitchen is really modern. That's one area that perhaps in our renovation spend, we might you know, be able to sal salvage some spend think about if there's another area where it may need a bit more investment, we've got that up our sleeve perhaps. Uh, but overall condition looks relatively good. I would definitely think about upgrading the bathrooms. Overall looking all right. Now, here, this is an interesting layout. Uh, it's not a layout I've ever seen before. Uh, it's not a typical kind of floor plan, but on the left, hopefully you can see sort of going from the top down, uh, a couple of bedrooms at the top, a bathroom on the left, Coming down, you have three bedrooms. Again, it's a three-bed, one-bath um, original uh, property. However, as we saw, the kitchen was quite modern. Now, where the arrow is there, you'll see that is actually where we can add a fourth bedroom. And it, it works really well, actually. We could have the door, uh, as you see it here, close to the entrance, or we may have it off the hallway, similar to bedroom three on the left. Um, so what was it before, though? So was it a big part of the lounge? Yeah, so there was there was lounge. There were a couple of partition walls. It was quite an odd space, from what I can oh, see. Oh, yeah, pictures. okay. Yeah, and there was a laundry as well, um, but just a really odd use of otherwise otherwise a big open space, really. 
Oh, so they ha they already had a kind of, um, it's quite hard to see on the uh, viewer screens at home, but there was kind of a weird wall jutting out halfway through the lounge. Oh, yes, yeah, that's right. So it, it, there's, and that's where it sort of sat. There, were just, there was this partition wall, um, perhaps it's structural, but other than that, just these two sort of open areas. You might say that there may have been more of a formal dining space plus a large lounge. Uh, and then there's a big uh, bifold doors at the bottom there with some uh, for the, ex to get to the outside. Um, what is interesting, if you look at the photo, the aerial on the right-hand side, as you can see, this is a, well, in this case, is a subdivisible site. There's a really long backyard, tons of space. Uh, you know, if we were really looking to ex uh, extract the best rental performance out of the value-add here, there's plenty of space to also add the bonus hack, which is uh, a sleep-out or a cabin there. To summarise here, this case on the cash flow hacking steps, um, now I want to point out here that we're not using all of them and that's not necessarily a negative uh, consideration. So first and foremost, we have found a way to add an extra internal bedroom and it's quite organic to the way that that layout um, sits. Number two, we're keeping this property the same as is. Number three, okay, so what we have seen here is the kitchen is very modern. So here where in the renovation spend we may have spent, you know, probably 6000 or so on a replacement kitchen and then the subsequent plumbing and electrical that comes with it, a bit of tiling for the splashback too, we're actually saving a lot of cash by not needing to touch that kitchen. Um, and also number four, the paint the paint works looked relatively good. They were neutral colours. We didn't have crazy pink rooms and green, green rooms. Um, uh, so, you know, we've saved some dollars there as well. And in fact, seeing the size of that backyard means we can probably look at a second bedroom that is an external cabin. Okay, so take us through the uh, potential rent here. What are we looking at? And again, this comes from uh, the Tenancy Services website. Okay, so let's repeat that same process. This is now a screenshot from the Tenancy site for Wollstone. Uh, lots of deals that our clients have done here as well, actually, in fact. Um, it's a great suburb with these nice big sections. Now, looking at the three-bedroom row there, lower quartile, which is probably a little bit harsh on this property. It's relatively good, but let's assume 460 per week rent. It's very similar to the other one, actually. Upper quartile, if we were to cosmetically improve the property, uh, we would have increased by about 65, so again, fairly similar. But in this case, we're looking to add an internal bedroom. We're jumping 140. Okay, so that's... Not quite as large an increase compared to the other case study, but it's still almost, you know, in both uh, renovation spends, whether cosmetic or adding a room here, these are two different uh, jumps in rent. So, you you know, there's a, there's a very big difference here in rent. In okay, the so we're going from 460 bucks a week to 600, mm. but what did it actually end up? So what's interesting here is that you'll notice there is no five bedroom rent on that data. So in this case, the best source you can always go to is uh, straight to the horse's mouth. So in this case, we want a professional property manager or multiple to appraise the property for what you think you will create in order to get some values around that rent. Um, as I say, we've had a couple of case studies already in the general area, um, four bed, two baths that are performing around that 710, 720. So I'm very comfortable with this formal appraisal. Five bedroom, so that's a one bedroom internal addition um, plus a cabin, and in fact, into the laundry, we will, we will also here potentially look to add a second toilet. This has been formally appraised at 740 per week, so that's a jump of 290 per week. And what have we done for that? We've added uh, an internal bedroom, a cabin, and half a bathroom. Sure, yes, exactly. So I've highlighted here that extra bedroom 
uh, you know, we're looking at a non-structural partition wall. So it's some framing, some jibbing, a bit of plaster and paintwork, and a bit of electrical possibly to, you know, move the, the light switch. Um, it's about $7,000, uh, assuming it's this sort of a simple addition. Not all floor plans are the same. So keep in mind, you will want to, in your due diligence, look to estimate this with your building uh, professionals. Um, but other than that, it's relatively similar to the first case study. However, the kitchens and bathrooms, we've skimmed that back to about half because we're not touching plumbing or electrical or the kitchen at all here. And as I mentioned before, paint refresh, it's probably half a job, uh, more of a spruce, spruce up and maybe a uh, top coat rather than a complete interior repaint. Also here in terms of deferred maintenance, uh, this property uh, is Healthy Home certified so we also don't need to look at additional wiring and things like that. What is added in here, which wasn't, in the first case is the uh, single cabin or sleep out on piles. So you're looking at around $20,000 for that, but I've added on $4,000. Delivery is probably around $2,000 and then maybe another two for piles to sit it on permanently. Cool. 70 k in total for that reno spend. Ilsa, stack the deal up for us. Great. Okay, so... Stacking and starting from a lowest feasible price. Let's go below market value here. These are the sorts of deals you want to keep an eye out for in this market with motivated sellers, uh, uh, properties that are staying online for longer, have a crack below what is being asked. So 430K purchase price. And based on the end spec or that final five bed, one and a half bathroom property, looking at either trade me and seeing what's up for asking price or looking at what's been selling, talking to agents, or just short track that and talk to a registered valuer. This pops in at about $650,000 revalue after the cash flow hack with that increased spec. Okay, so an extra 220K is what we think we can get from this. What did it cost us? Renovation per the last slide, so it's about 70,000, slightly more than the last case study. Um, however, we're adding in that internal partition to create an additional bedroom. Okay, and was there any deferred maintenance? Not in this case. It was quite fortunate. We've got actually a higher spec. We had double glazing, we had a brand new roof, and that was something we were specifically looking for here. So we've gained an equity margin based on that value ceiling of around 150k. So give or take that's, you know, two times the renovation spend. We spent $70 of debt, effectively, but we've made that back twofold. That's a great ratio to aim for uh, in this market. Okay, so this is how you'd stack up the deal from an equity perspective, but we can't forget about cash flow. What's that looking like? Right, so we have a deal that is at 100% debt, including the reno spend. It's still negatively geared for that first year or two. In year one, uh, with the current 6% one year rate, um, the top-up required by you as the buyer would be around $140 per week at that rate. But if you compare it to uh, not renovating, this is actually now a neutral property around year three. Yeah, I think the other thing you've got to just point out here as well is let's call that 15k worth of negative cash flow over the first four years, primarily concentrated in the uh, first and second year. If you're making 150k worth of equity, and you're spending 15k worth of cash flow that you've got to top it up by, it's not a bad investment. 
So let's come to this one here. Talk about is it a deal or not? Deal or no deal? Producer David's going to pop that across your uh, screens now. Do you think this is a deal or is it not? And once we've got, oh, let's call it again, 40% of you answering that question, we'll pop it across your screens, see what you guys say. Now, I've also just remembered, I'm, as well as writing down everybody else's questions that you've been submitting to us uh, throughout this evening, I'm also writing down my own questions for Ilsa as well, <laughs> since I've got her in the room and get to quiz her about it all. Right, producer David, five, four, three, two, one. Let's pop it across everybody's screens. And we've got 95% of people saying this is a deal. We've got 6% of people saying might not be the one for me. So it looks like this one might be a bit of a winner. What is it for you, Elsa? A deal or not? This is a deal. Uh, we're about to show you a comparison here, but um, this is definitely a deal. Um, you know, with the renovation spend, yes, we have those six principles plus the cabin bonus, but there are no, there's not really a cookie cutter sol solution here. There is give and take across each of those principles. In some properties, you'll need more investment in some aspects and then less in others. But overall, when you stack up this deal, looking at a lower purchase price, you know, being really critical and having a crack at submitting offers below market value definitely pays off. We have investors, you know, Accelerate clients who are achieving deals as low as 280k in main centres right now. So have a crack. This is the time to do that. Just to really show you a difference in result here, this is that Woolston property. On the left, the three-bedroom cosmetic renovation, that again is negatively geared. You're topping that up right up until year 15. So it's worse than if you bought the property as it was shown, as it was um, you know, unrenovated, uh, because ad adding debt but not adding enough value or rental uplift actually sent, sent it backwards. Um, this is a 15-year cash flow showing cumulative rent. Now the difference in 15 years when you cash flow hack it and create that five bed, one and a half bathroom uh, result, over 15 years, that's $198,000 of a difference in cash flow, of more cash flow. Um, what I really want to point out here, <laughs> given this is a deal, this is last week's most recent Christchurch deal that an Accelerate investor has secured uh, and really going through it with a fine tooth comb for the for tonight's purpose really shows what a strong deal this is. The purchase price was phenomenal. Uh, the renovation spend was great. There were a few areas that didn't need spend. That helped add equity to the final result. Uh, it's a very strong area for revalue and there is extremely high demand for large family homes with a backyard and a, um, a safe site with car parking off street in this area. So well done. This is actually to show you that while things are tough out there and some of the elements stack up against the strategy in fact, uh, this is absolutely possible. This is last week's deal. And just before we get into some of the lessons learned, there's been some great messages in the chat about, oh, it was a bit convenient that the first property you paid asking price for and on the second property you bought at 70k under value. The key thing that I'd just say to that is that's the point. It's not always about the house and what you can do to it in terms of adding extra bedrooms, adding a cabin. That's one part of it. The other part is the purchase price as well. And so we're really using that first one 
as an example when a, a property wouldn't be the right deal, not just because of the house and what it looks like and whether you can add the extra bedroom, but also the purchase price you pay for it. And perhaps we might go into a couple of the details about how you got it under price as well once we move into the question time, since that was a deal you were actively involved in, Ilsa. But let's come across to some of those lessons learned. What are the key things you want people to take away tonight, Ilsa? Sure. So yeah, I think you're touching on it now. So critically analysing the purchase price because that is your best place to start by keeping that debt as low as possible. In this market, it's about submitting conditional offers at multiple properties and seeing what lands, okay? You're safe going with a conditional property, uh, sorry, conditional offer. Due diligence clause, um, make many offers with a due diligence clause that your solicitor can prepare and you can then check for additional spends that will stack on top. How much will the renovation cost in this instance? Are there deferred maintenance that I, issues that I need to focus on uh, and I need to identify and I need to then bring experts in? Is it a builder, an electrician, um, an engineer? Especially in Christchurch, one thing we should point out actually is that post-earthquake there is um, there is a lot of rental stock out there that is as is, where is. And basically that means that there are some there's some work that's required, some remedial work to most commonly um, re-level out the flooring um, and basically if you can find the professionals and there are many of them here locally uh, to execute that work um, from that point you can pick up a deal and um, treat it as a, as a usual bur cash flow hack. Um, on top of that the cash flow performance what we're trying to emphasize here tonight is about the most efficient use of the debt so okay you land a great deal at a great price now with the renovation spend assuming that is debt on top if it's not fantastic, that means that your performance is probably nudging even more strongly in year one. But if you are um, going with 100% debt, it's about finding the best use of or making that debt work harder, as you've heard Andrew and, um, Ed and Andrew say on the podcast so many times. So we know that with cash flow hacking, that number one step, adding that internal bedroom, is the best nudge towards it. Those are probably the two key things. One, regarding your stacking up of the capital into the deal. Number two, the cash flow performance, especially with that renovation debt. And thirdly, that we're coming into the season when more stock traditionally will come on. Um, over your Christmas break and going into the summer, there should be more deals um, that are available to you. And with these Christchurch examples, lots of them out there. So it's a matter of being um, not ever feeling like you need to hinge on one deal, but place offers around and then take the time through due diligence to stack that deal up. Fantastic. Now, there are a ton of questions in the Q&A and in the chat that we're going to come to all about interest deductibility, uh, what you'd have to pay for the first one to make it a deal. Things like as well, uh, how much can you borrow and how do you take equity? We're going to answer all of those questions, including how Elsa might go about negotiating those. But before we get into that Q&A, you might be sitting there thinking, well, how do I go about figuring out what properties are a deal and what properties aren't deals? How do I go about learning more about renovating properties? And that's why I want to take just two minutes of your time to tell you about what this lady here does, because Ilsa is a renovations coach. And what she does is she helps people find those sorts of deals that you, that you saw in the second example and actually put it into practice. And as she said, that is a real life example Example that she was helping uh, an investor on just last week, eventually making 150k. Now, what she offers, just so you're aware of it and know what your options are, because 
You can renovate yourself, but some people like a bit of help as well. She does offer a coaching program, and if you do go for that coaching program, here's what she offers. She offers one-on-one personalized 12-month program. We'll look at the deals with you. We'll help you figure out what are you gonna do to renovate. She's got some local supplier relationships, so let's say you're in Auckland and you wanna start investing in Christchurch, or you wanna start investing in Whangarei or Hamilton, hey, she can hook you up with the right builders, electricians, plumbers, all the people you're going to need and actually I walked past you in the Auckland office the other day and you were doing one of these live group sessions also <laughs> and I popped my head in where you sit around with uh, all of the investors you're helping and you guys are learning off each other and I see you've actually stolen some informed investor magazines as well to <laughs> send out uh, to the investors you're working with um, and there's one final thing that I do want to let you know about which is quite quite unique for Opus Accelerate is they've got what they call the portal and what this is is it is an, a uh, portal you go through and there's a whole heap of videos so you can learn the ins and outs of how do you renovate a bathroom? How do you renovate a kitchen? What do you need to look out for? It's got quite a few supporting materials and templates, but most importantly, and I hear a lot of good feedback about this, is there are a lot of case studies in there so you can see, well, what are other investors doing? Now, of course, you probably want to know, well, if you go for that service, what might it cost? We've released some pricing programs. Uh, up front, it's 20 grand plus GST for that 12-month coaching program, and that is a premium service. There are also some other payment programs, which I know that some of the investors we've been working with have asked for. I know there's one option where it's 11 and a half grand up front, then 2.3K for the next five months. One thing to just note about, though, is if you are going to go for one where you pay it off over time, you do want to check with your broker, your mortgage broker, about how that payment plan may affect your servicing. But key thing here that I'd say is it is a premium service, but this is the service that is going to help you uh, invest 23k, hopefully turn that into 150k uplift on that first uh, first renovation. Key thing to point out as well, it is not the right service for everybody. Yeah, so if there's a voice in your head saying, I want to get rich quick, it's not the right service for you. If you're thinking, I want to flip properties, I want to buy them, do them up, sell them, um, there are other great companies out there for you. Uh, we're just not one of them. We focus on buying to hold for the long term, not on flipping. Uh, so if you want to flip, we're not the right strategy for you. If you want to be really, really hands off, this specific service, probably not the right fit for you. You probably want to use our other new build service. And then also, if you're thinking, this is just too much uh, money to invest uh, on myself for this sort of service, then, hey, sweet, no trouble. Take the free content, do, do with it what you can. Uh, but again, this service wouldn't be the right fit. Now, just before we get into questions, I do want to give you the opportunity to raise your hand and say, you know what, I wouldn't mind a 30-minute quick Zoom call to talk with Elsa about this program, about my portfolio and what I can do with it. So I am going to put this little poll across your screen one last time. Now, if you uh, click the top one, we'll give you a call to book a time to sit down with Elsa. If you click the bottom one, all good, no trouble, we just won't give you a call. So if you are keen for that 30-minute Zoom call to talk about that program, click the top button, we'll give you a buzz. If it's not the right time, or you're already an existing client, and hey, it's great to see you guys on the call as well, click the bottom one, you won't get a call. Now, with that, there's just one final thing I want to say while you're doing that. If you haven't already, 
follow us on Instagram. We are at Opus Accelerate, and that's where you can follow Ilsa and Danny, who's another one of our renovations coaches, and you can see what these girls are up to, going out there, looking at properties, renovating them, and most importantly, improving the housing stock of New Zealand. I think that's a really important point. Right, let's get into question time with that, Ilsa. And I have got a ton that I'm going to quiz you. And I'm quite excited that I do not get to uh, answer the questions tonight. I get to ask them. The first one, and I'm going to quiz you on tax rules now. It comes from Fitz and Rosie, uh, who have been, have been uh, great webinar attendees for a long, long time. They're asking, if you convert an attached garage and say... Uh, into a one-bedroom unit, so a garage that's attached to a house, mm -hmm. if we convert the garage mm -hmm. uh, so that it is habitable, get a code compliance certificate, are both properties considered new builds for tax purposes? Right, so you, for the final answer, you will definitely check with your accountant because they are the ones who will basically ratify this and put those, those numbers you want in your year-end accounts for sure. Um, basically, the question we're asking here is, and, and it's really important to note, if the garage is attached to the dwelling, that may be a different situation from if we're talking a standalone garage. But basically here, if you are converting to a habitable space, so a garage is not deemed livable, you're taking one large building effectively and you're converting it into two. The Each of those resulting dwellings is deemed a new build because as at today that's also fitting in with the date the date deadline they will both be treated as new builds so therefore they are tax deductible and one thing we didn't mention is actually the numbers we've shown on both of these case studies are assuming that uh, there is 100% no tax deductibility on both of those deals because we weren't talking social housing but social housing tenants, if you uh, do tenant with a registered social housing provider, that is, in some, in many ways, it's actually the same tax treatment as a new build. Yeah. Uh, your answer to Vincent Rose's question is also my understanding. They'd both be considered new builds. Correct. Now, let's take a look at uh, the next question, which comes from an anonymous attendee who says, which areas do you cover? Do you have uh, builders and power teams in Rotorua? That's an interesting one. So where we have power teams available, uh, and what I would actually say is even beyond our formal power teams, we're now at the stage where some of our investors who have already worked with us are now extensions and um, to aid, aid their own learning. They're now going to site as our property managers would or as our builders would to help our new investors learn. And it's so awesome because that's part of the networking aspect. In terms of our formal power teams, we basically span from Whangarei down to Dunedin. Um, so that's Whangarei, Auckland, Hamilton, New Plymouth, uh, and in the South Island we have Christchurch, and most newly Dunedin. Uh, we are also, we're basically expanding where we see for our strategy those opportunities are. Rotorua is one area that I think is very, of, of a lot of interest. Um, East Coast is also becoming more so, as is Palmerston North and Manawatu. The re we don't have full teams there, but through our contacts, we can still execute. The reason why those areas are not completely set up yet is because over the last um, short to midterm, those markets were some of the hottest in terms of price. They weren't the most suitable for our strategy, um, but as they each of those locations move through this cycle, we are picking up those opportunities. Okay, so you would if an investor was interested. Now, Sam's asking a really good question. If it's not possible, if you can't add a bedroom, is it still worth renovating a pretty 
tide, kitchen and bathroom, and the other steps if you already own the property, if it's an existing rental. Still worth it? Well, it's complete, yeah, and this is a really important question because no one deal is a yes for everyone. It's There's the quantifiable, I guess, the numbers around the deal, but there's the qualitative aspect of the deal, which is how does it fit to you as an individual investor and what is it you want out of that deal? You know, two investors may look at one listing from two completely different angles. What's really important in this situation is if, you own, if you've owned that property yourself for quite some time, it's quite likely that the, the loan to value ratio or the LVR is really is much lower. We have assumed 100% debt. It's basically the harshest conditions we could put a deal under scrutiny with. But if you have a lot of equity in it, and uh, the cash flow is probably better than what we're suggesting, um, that will still improve the cash flow. But again, what I would say is use the methodology of stacking up the capital, look at what the cost of the renovation debt will add to the cash flow, or subtract rather, but also look at um, getting formal appraisals from your property manager or managers um, to look at what the result will be and, and you work that out. Easiest way to track the cash flow is with our OPA's Return on Investment Spreadsheet, <laughs> uh, which runs the cash flow over a 15-year period. You can download that for free at opuspartners.co.nz slash ROI. Producer David might pop that in the chat as well. Now, there was a great one which I quite like, so I'm going to get you to answer this from anonymous <laughs> attendee. What colour is your suit actually? <laughs> I just thought, yeah, that question at the um, beginning, we probably would have had a few different answers. What do you think, Ed? I think it's lilac. Lilac? <laughs> I'd go with lilac. Now, let's come to the next question. Chris has asked a great one, which is for that second property, the one that you are able to buy 70 grand under value. Mm. What would your initial offer be when beginning those negotiations to try and get that? And perhaps it's probably a good time to explain how you got that deal because it wasn't on Trade Me. That's right. So as well as looking on market, um, part of the value in some of our locations is where we have off-market deal finders. And these are people that I guess you could say that they definitely are part of our power team where they have their own ways of going out to private owners to find listings um, for various reasons they're motivated to sell um, or they're just testing what they can get for them. In this case, this property was an as is where is, I mentioned briefly at the end. So there was a, a minor, but uh, you know, there was a amount, an amount of uh, floor re-leveling work um, and through our source, they were, they put this deal under contract for themselves. They were fixing the floor and then on selling it to us. So this one came through as a connection, but what I would definitely say is that buying below market is very commonplace and quite a few of our investors have been able to achieve significantly below market value even in the last few weeks across many markets here. And the way that you achieve that is really by scattering offers, conditional offers out, uh, where you've run the initial ROI, you see that there's potential, uh, you understand that you know there will be some potentially deferred maintenance with existing builds. So for that reason alone, you will try some of these lower offers and see where they land. Now, I also mentioned the qualitative aspect to the deal. It's really important that when you inquire, you talk to the listing agent, or if it is a private seller, you want to ask questions as to what is the motivation for selling? Uh, what are their preferred timings? Do they want a fast settlement, a long settlement? And understanding and hearing them and then tailoring your offer or your approach to them will help you form the right approach with that deal. And you, if you are so solving a, a challenge for them, 
um, it's an opportunity for you. Let's come to the next question, which I've, I've seen a couple of people ask actually, which is, uh, do you work with investors to for owner-occupied buyers who want to add value to their purchase? So would you help, say, a first-home buyer who wants to purchase a property and then renovate it? Great question, 100%. Uh, for those of you who follow our Instagram page, we actually, maybe a week or so ago. I didn't even know you did that. I thought the answer was no. <laughs> did you? Yeah, no, I did. But no, tell everybody at home. Apparently the answer's yes. <laughs> this strategy could work. It's about the physical change and the value add to a property. Uh, you know, land banking aside, if we're talking about improving the performance or up-specking, intensifying a house, adding bedrooms, it can be for whatever use. Generally, it's investors looking to get a higher performance, buy a three-bedroom house, but get four or five-bedroom rent. That helps them with the mortgage. But we have, um, I mentioned on Instagram last week, we have an incredible client that we work with. Great example, we're in this market. You can basically improve the location you were buying in last year. The woman we're working with, she's early to mid-20s, 24, I think. Um, she was last year, even six months ago, looking for her own home um, to up-spec, basically add value to then buy her first yeah, yeah, property yeah. within her 12 months with us. Um, she is now on a due diligence contract in Weymouth and Manukau, close to her work. Six months ago, she was going to drive from Huntley, and that's where she was going to buy, add value, then buy her first investment property. Um, but 100%, um, uh, also where it does help is where you might be looking to change your own home. And if that then becomes an investment property, this is an opportunity to add those bedrooms and up spec so you get a better rent than you would otherwise. Okay, so yeah. that's quite interesting. It makes me quite happy to hear, <laughs> so sorry for that, is because in our book Wealth Plan, which you can see behind uh, Ilsa and oh, behind me, I think, as well, um, in that we talk about that the way that a lot of first-home buyers, and this is just one of the two strategies, but one of the ways first-home buyers start to build a portfolio is get your first property, renovate it, then leverage against that, borrow more against it to get the deposit for your next property. And so it's quite yes. good that you do that. Um, now, okay, I know what I think about Greymouth, but let's ask this. Uh, Sophie has asked, how about an area in Greymouth? Do you pick that as an investment region at the moment? Good question. Is Greymouth West Coast? Greymouth is on the west coast yes. of the South Island. So as well as the deal, we you always need to review the fundamentals, the macros. Um, read Wealth Plan, any Property 101 type of book is always going to say, let's look at the macro environment. So let's step back from the immediate listing or the immediate deal at hand here and think about what is going to give that long-term uh, benefit of capital growth, which is the wealth element of the deal. Uh, to you. So let's say, um, talking West Coast very generally here, but I know that that is the only region within New Zealand that has negative population growth. Population growth is one of those fundamentals that we do need to consider within the overall context of the deal. Um, other details such as you know population growth, how diverse that economy is, um, does that location depend on one large employer versus a, um, a vast array of employers to give stability to the, the types of tenants you might get. Um, these are the factors you need to consider on top of the deal. Personally, uh, if um, when, when an investor comes to us and says, I have $600,000, or if they come to Peter Norris at Catalyst and say, I look, I want to spend $600,000, it's not about buying a property at $600,000. It's about finding the best, most robust, basically largest economy that you can afford within that budget. Um, 
then looking at your personal criteria and what that deal must deliver. Um, basically, I think you've said it many times, Ed, is uh, the larger the centre or the economy, generally the more consistent the year-on-year capital growth. So I, in my personal opinion, I would find Greymouth one of those smaller areas that might have a less diverse economy and not quite so consistent um, capital growth. One reason why that is of consideration is if you exit that property, um, there might be a little bit more flux than, say, a place like Auckland. Um, and if you, for some reason, needed to exit that property at a time that wasn't favourable to you, um, there sort of would be that feeling of less control over what that exit price might be. Yeah, significant fluctuations. Mm. Um, now, Alina's asked a really good question. I'm going to answer this one. I'm not sure if I may. And she's asked, can you please explain the new interest deductibility rules with uh, and how this affects the bottom line? Maybe an example. And she's also said, I understand that National may, uh, National may cancel this property if they get in. So look, the simplest way to understand interest deductibility is that you are going to be taxed as if you don't have a mortgage despite that you still have a mortgage to pay. So let me give you a really good example. Let's say that after paying your rates, your insurance, your maintenance, all of that stuff, you've got a six, you've got $600 a week rent left over. I'm going to make the numbers really simple. You've got $600 a week left over. And let's say that based on your current mortgage, you've got $600 worth of interest costs. Now, previously, back in the good old days, or if it was a new build, or if you were using social housing, those would cancel each other out, $600 a week, of, uh, a week worth of rent left over, 600 bucks a week worth of interest, cancel each other out, no tax to pay. Doesn't work that way anymore. If you were to use those same numbers on a property purchase today, and I'm going to assume you're paying 33% tax, which is the trust tax rate, before you pay your $600 worth of interest costs, you are going to be taxed as if you earned $600 a week in profit. That's $200 a week in tax. So you get your $600 a week rent after paying your rates, your insurance and your maintenance, 600 bucks. You pay your $200 a week to the tax man, 400 bucks left over, then you've still got to pay 600 bucks a week to the bank. So now you're negative 200 bucks a week. So you were neutrally geared before, now you're 10K in the red because of the tax change. Same property, same rent, same rates, insurance, maintenance, same interest rate, only difference is the tax, and it's the 200 bucks a week going to the tax ban. So that's the difference. You're being taxed as if you don't have a mortgage, despite the fact that you still have one. And look, National may repeal that if they get in. They're looking quite good in the polls. Who's to say that they uh, those polls won't change over the next year? Uh, of course, we are about a year away from election year. The latest that it can be held is, I believe, January. 2024 and of course even after that it's going to take some time for any new tax policy to come in no matter what I'm saying to investors look we can hope and pray that National get in and that yes they do change the tax rules but today we've got to work and run our numbers on the basis of today's tax rules it's no use thinking well what happens if a party that's not currently in government does get into government and then perhaps changes the tax rules we've got to make our decisions today based on the ones we've currently got um, thank you, Alina. I got, I got, my, I got, my, got my rant in for the evening. Okay, anonymous attendee. Actually, no, I'm going to ask Jessica's question because it's a good one. Also, you talk about making money when you buy, i.e. not overpaying for the property. 
Do you consider also when you buy the ceiling of rents in a particular area, not just the ceiling of value in a particular area? Definitely. I know who this Jess is. Thank you for your question. Uh, definitely. That's a crucial part. So when we talk about staking a deal in terms of the spend on that deal with the renovation spend and deferred maintenance, definitely with the rents, um, you have the two sources of data available. So you can look at the tenancy website, as we've shown on the two cases here. Uh, the best uh, source is always going to be one, two, three, multiple professional property managers to again create a robust view of what the final, you know, the post renovation rent can be. Um, having multiple sources will really give you confidence before you go unconditional and go into that deal and renovate and invest all that extra money. It is really important, but that's what is great about the strategy is the pre-calculated nature of it, looking at the value uplift, but also looking at the rent uplift based on what you're going to do um, with the renovation. And once you have a contract locked, uh, legally the rent uh, annual rent review is every 12 months um, and once you have a base rent locked in, so assuming you've had three appraisals, you've gone with one you're happy with, that's your starting point. The market will still then grow and uh, I think what year on year it's about 4.7, 4.8% is the long term general rent inflation rate. So wherever you start is really important because that basically creates your baseline and year by year your manager will review that to make sure you're in keeping with the market. So it's another reason why with the strategy setting your best foot forward and starting from the strongest, um, you know, as strong as you can at the outset gives you the platform to then still have the rent review every year. If you you know, take a property as listed and uh, take 400 a week in rent, rather than cash flow hack and take 690, for example, that's a large margin that's of opportunity that's been left on the table. There are lots of interest deductibility questions, so we are going to go through them. Uh, the first one is, well, what about converting a standalone garage into a two-bedroom, one-bath house? Is that considered tax deductible? That would be a new build. So again, with that uh, being a uh, standalone built um, as the garage itself that is uh, originally deemed by the council as being um, inhabitable. So you can park your car, you're not allowed to live there. Also has implications for insurance if you do it not the correct way. Um, converting that with building consent um, according with the planning rules, turning that into an additional dwelling on that site, that would be a new build. You would need to speak with your accountant as to whether um, as a result, the original dwelling became a new build or not? No, it wouldn't. Okay. Original one wouldn't. But uh, the trick is, which was Vincent Rosie's question, if it's attached already, then yes, would be they'd both be considered a new build. If it's a standalone garage, then only the standalone garage would be considered. This is my understanding of it. By the way, I'm not a tax accountant, but I did read the 143-page document. Um, <laughs> Uh, the standalone garage would be considered a new build, the original property uh, or the original one wouldn't. Now, this is an interesting one. What about adding a cabin? If I add a cabin or a sleep out onto the land, is the interest associated with that considered a new build? Very important distinction to make. So the tax deductibility change, um, when we talk about converting something from a building from inhabitable to habitable, it is a full dwelling, so when we talk about the tax, it, it must be an entire dwelling um, for that tax treatment. So as an example, um, we might have a three-bed, in that last example of the Wollstone, we had a three-bedroom, one-bath house. 
we added non-structural components, but it still was one single dwelling. We didn't add an additional second dwelling. That is not enough to create a um, tax deductibility because it's, it's actually unchanged. Same goes with the sleep out and external bedroom. That is still a, um, for the purposes as a sleep out without a kitchen, it is part of the same original dwelling. So that does not convert the property into a tax deductible new build as such. Um, the key here is when you, basically the way you can see it is if you add a kitchen, you're basically creating an additional dwelling. So if you think about number of kitchens, that's a way to think about number of dwellings because generally there's one kitchen per dwelling. And yeah. it needs to be a significant change or basically add a kitchen, add another house or rent uh, for rent that will qualify. Yeah, that's correct. And you need to get um, code compliance. One of the re uh, main reasons we talk about adding cabins is because if they're under 30 square metres or under, you generally don't need council mm -hmm. consent. That's why it's one of our uh, main cash flow hacks because you can increase the rent without needing to go through the council consent process. So if you added a sleep out or a cabin, unless it's got a kitchen, won't be tax deductible. If you added a minor dwelling, say two bedrooms with a bathroom mm. and a kitchen, that would be considered yeah. tax deductible. Just on that point, there are five or six bullet points um, on the official government website to make sure that if you are adding a cabin or sleep out, you do still need to implement that correctly. Um, regardless of whether it's a new dwelling or not, you need to make sure you position it, you follow the rules. Uh, and in that case, most likely you will not need a building consent. Um, I think what we'll do, just because if there are questions around that, we'll make sure we pop that in the Instagram story as well to illustrate um, and also the links to the details so you can make sure you do follow those as well. Yeah, and I'm going to answer this one really, really quickly. Um, Jared said, I've heard that if I, I get a fully reconsented uh, reclad, I change the, uh, the cladding of the property, That'll be classed as a new build. If it's 75% of the cladding or more than it is, we've got a whole podcast about that on the Property Academy podcast if you want to learn more about the costs of that as well. Uh, let's come to the next one. I'm going to get away from interest deductibility because we could be here for a long time. Uh, I saw a question in the chat. What would you pay ballpark for property number one to make it a deal? So this is the one that we said wasn't a deal, that you're paying $484. She's looking at her notes because she wants to give you a good answer. Look at my stack. This deal has to stack up. Okay, the, the key, I think this deal, case number one, was somewhat set up to fail with paying too much at the purchase price. So number one was, I think if we can bring that purchase price down uh, lower, that will give us a bit more of a head start. I'm just trying to find my numbers here. So, uh, it was 480, 480 and you were able to get it up to 600. Yes, okay, 480. So, okay, so if we maybe just work backwards from that, I can't find my page. So, let's say I'll be able to find it for you. So, 600k, okay, 600k, and we paid 480 initially. Uh, it's a margin of 120 there. Um, so the screenshot we had of the market value um, was around about thirty or forty thousand less than uh, the asking price. Um, so if we were to even look at, um, I guess let's assume the deferred maintenance is still there. Okay, so if we come down closer to around that four hundred k, that's probably going to give us a bit more of a margin. Um, in fact, what I would think is surely it'd be at least three seventy. 
Because I reckon okay. 370 at least. Now, I'll tell you the reason why. I'm going to help you out because I see you're scribbling numbers. Because <laughs> it, 45k to replace the roof, 65k for the renovation, that's 110k. We're only making 10k from the start. Mm -hmm. If you're spending 110k to renovate, replace the roof, our minimum is you want to spend a dollar to make two. So a one for one ratio. So if you spend 50k renovating a property, at the very least, the value of the property has to go up by 100K. So if we were to use those numbers, 110K spend, you need to get at least 110K equity out. That would be 380K would be the minimum you'd pay based on those numbers. Mm. So that would be what, what the answer to that question is. As a ballpark, of course, there's always other things. Could you get the roof done cheaper? Those kinds of considerations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's come to the next question. And um. Oh, okay, this is a good one. So when we're talking about interest deductibility, is that the Brightline test? Interest deductibility is around the uh, the treatment of your income. So no, these are two separate matters. Um, and it's really important to distinguish between new builds and existing builds. So to add value in Cashflow Hack, we are focusing on existing builds. The current rule is uh, Brightline is a 10-year term. Um, so basically from when you... It's unconditional or settle. It might be unconditional date. Unconditional. Unconditional date. Ten years you must hold that property for. Incidentally, roughly a whole property cycle. If you sell the property before that type ten year uh, timeline, you will pay capital gain tax. This is about paying tax on profit uh, or lack of profit, but basically on the profit you might make if you sell that deal. Sorry, if you sell that property prior to the ten year mark. Cool. And we're going to do one more question before we wrap up for this evening. And it's one of my own ones also. So on the podcast previously, we've talked about a lot about uh, properties that are positively geared, properties that are negatively geared. Now, for most properties, vast majority of properties, even if you follow the whole cash flow hacking process at today's interest rates, those properties are going to be still negatively geared. That's right. Now, uh, unless you go for social housing, and if you made it into a new build, it'd probably be possibly geared. Mm -hmm. Is it still worth rent buying a property, renovating it, getting some equity uplift, if the property is going to end up being negatively geared? What do you think? Mm, fair question. Two angles I would think about when you ask that. The first one is that, okay, Let's think about a long-term strategy. If you're wanting to learn the strategy and your idea is to copy and paste and repeat this over multiple deals, there's a long-term benefit by creating equity, re-leveraging it and buying again. Um, and also by uh, renovating when you buy a property to get the best rent performance per week out of it by increasing its value. That is giving it a really strong performance. So even though the short-term interest rate is very challenging for many investors right now, let's not lose, lose sight of the long-term picture. That is, you know, hopefully within one to two years, that rate does come down. And if you have added value in the first instance, you can know that you have made sure that property is performing so strongly that that performance of the rent is going to push into that positively geared territory more quickly. The other aspect that is really important is coming back to who you are as the buyer. So what is the priority for you? Is it that you must have a, um, a neutral to positively geared property, one you don't need to top up? Or is that particular property you're looking at where you see 
land development value? You know, is it the equity or the cash flow you're looking for from that deal? There are two different ways to look at the deal and it comes down to each individual investor situation. Right, we're going to wrap it up there, but thank you so much for being with us tonight to talk about is it a deal or is it not? Now, remember those three things to do if you want to keep learning about uh, investment property. One is follow Opus Accelerate on Instagram. They are at Opus Accelerate. Uh, if you want to learn more about the program as well that Ilsa's offering, hey, go to opuspartners.co.nz. There's a whole page about what that entails. And finally, if you don't already listen to the uh, Property Academy podcast, then you might like to subscribe to that. You can find that on your favourite podcast listing app. And of course, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to that because it really does help us get the message out to more people. We're going to wrap it up there. See you guys later. Thanks for joining us this evening.